Hey, it's Meredith. Thanks for joining me on the Launch Pod for Pomona Valley Church today. This month of November, our church is diving into four passages that are focused around the table. Life together at a meal, or perhaps something God did significantly and the setting was a meal. Regardless, we're curious about how the table plays a role in God's forming of us. Our message this past week came from Acts chapters 10 and 11. They are a long passage, and before I gave the message that I'm about to give to you now, I read most of that story to our group. For time's sake, I'm not going to read it right now, but I would encourage you to go ahead and find it and read it on your own at some point if it's been a while since you've read that account. For now, a short summary. A Roman centurion named Cornelius has a vision, and God tells him to find a man named Simon who's called Peter. So he sends some servants to go and retrieve that man. Meanwhile, Peter, one of Jesus's core 12 disciples, has gone up to a roof to pray, becomes hungry, and while he's waiting for a meal, he falls into a trance. During this trance, Peter sees what the Bible says is something like a sheet lowered down from heaven, and all sorts of animals are inside of it, including unclean ones that a Jew would never eat. Peter hears a voice saying, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, no way. That happens three times and the vision ends. And then the Bible says that while Peter is still figuring out what this means, Cornelius's men arrive at the door. And so Peter lets them in. They share about Cornelius's vision and offer an invitation to his own home. And Peter goes with them. This is an amazing choice given that all of the social and religious distance between them would have told Peter this was not just odd, out of place, but fundamentally wrong. And in fact, Peter says as much when he arrives at Cornelius's house. Now, with that bit of a paraphrase in your mind, I offer this sermon to us today. Today, we have two key questions to consider together. And the first is, how do we know it's God speaking? The second is, can we get better at that? We're with Peter today in Acts chapter 10, and Peter's a disciple of Jesus. He's one of the core 12 that we meet in the Gospels. He's represented as more of a gut instinct sort of person rather than a level-headed analyzer. He's going to be one to do what he feels more than he's going to be one to make a spreadsheet, at least the way the Gospels tell him to us. And Peter finds himself, after a lifetime of fishing— followed by three years as the disciple of a rabbi who claimed to be the Messiah, and then some unknown time since that Messiah's ascension to heaven after rising from death, faced with a discernment problem. Because this whole life of Peter's has been distinctly Jewish, and maybe God is changing the rules of Judaism on him? Peter has always followed God according to Jewish laws and customs, And maybe God is saying not to do that anymore and to instead do something opposite. Peter has a sense of identity as part of the people of God. Peter has a core formed around God's word on what's good and what's right. I think a lot of us have something similar if we've been part of the faith for some time. We carry some sense of identity, a sense of what's best and If you are also interested in God's opinion on a matter, there are no shortage of people ready to proclaim to you the biblical way of doing something, anything. 
It's true in our education or job choices, whether it's about what school or major is best, whether or not to incur school debt or how fast to graduate. It's true about how much things like prestige or affluence should or should not influence your career. It's true in our family life. People are sure they know the best, most biblical way to raise kids at every age and stage. Or maybe it's about the question of what we owe to our parents or the weightier topic of how much or little of a relationship is healthy to have at all. This is true in our health, right? Whether it's just about knowing that God gave us our body and so we're trying to eat more X and less Y. But on the flip side, I mean, the so-called Christian dieting industry over 20 years ago, which was the last time I could find data, back then even, it was worth $1.5 billion dollars. To be sure they told you the best in biblical way to do that. And this is certainly true with faith. I mean, this one's complicated. At this very moment on the internet, you will see raging battles about rock bands and relevance and reformed theology. And for the love, just two weeks ago, we did another round on whether women should be pastors. More significantly, in the United States, we are still a very segregated faith across racial lines. And we just keep hurting LGBTQ siblings by making inclusion some impersonal topic to be talked about in the abstract. In any and all of these things, when someone is sure there's one right biblical way, we might feel a lot of things in response from confusion to conviction. And I think a lot of us have some desire to get it right. We understand that there is at times a connection between our identity and our decisions about these important topics. Now, if we can connect with that reality, then I think we can better connect with Peter here. In fact, even now, take any of those big areas of life that I just described. Pick one that you feel pretty passionate about and also pretty confident about how you think and feel on that issue. Would you call that to mind? Now, what if, what if some strong experience forced you to question, is God asking me to change on this? That's Peter. In the Jewish world, food laws are a significant marker for who is an insider with the people of God. Observing them is a tangible way that someone shows multiple times a day that they want to honor God with their whole self. The scholar Jerome Nyrie wrote a book on the social world around Luke Acts. The two books share an author, you'll recall. And he notes that food and meals are incredibly important to Luke as he writes. Even just the words eating, meals, and breaking bread come up a combined total of over 50 times in these two books. And in the social world of Luke Acts, he notes that meals are a map of the persons, places, and things that mark a group. Everything from who sits at the head of the table to where everybody else sits, to what location a meal happens in, to the order the food is served in. All of it is loaded as cues for what a group is like and about. And people basically ate with those who shared their values. So in this world, there is an incredibly strong connection between food and whether it's clean or not, and people, and whether they're clean or not. It is so powerful then for God to use the table, the experience of eating together, 
as the mechanism for demonstrating the ever-expanding reign of grace. But this vision would have created immense confusion, maybe even turmoil for Peter. And he doesn't seem to have very much time to decide, is this God? I wonder what Peter thought about in that time after he woke up. I wonder what questions he asked himself and God. Did he recall any memories, maybe even of his time with Jesus? Who said stunningly little as far as the specific ways that the law should continue or not in the future after his ascension? What discernment filters were in place to help Peter sort out the meaning of this vision? Somehow, Peter decides to say yes to Cornelius' invitation. He accepts his men as guests and then returns to Cornelius' home. And Peter says in Acts 10, 28, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. Now, perhaps, we see this encounter clearly. God widening the table and inviting the Gentiles to join. We now have all of scripture in writing and the whole of history of how this remarkable group of people across wide divides came together because of Jesus to at times, when they got it right, be a force for good. Compassion and mercy, care, justice, healing, and love. But then, I really doubt it was clear or easy. Now, when I was a teenager, I was a youth group kind of kid. And I basically had a wonderful experience overall. But one thing I do remember is that a lot of college-age Christians from the university not far down the freeway, they helped in my youth group. And they really talked about God's will a lot. My memory is they always made it sound like there was one right answer, right? That God's will was a single thing and therefore discernment was about revealing that one thing. And also, they sort of believed that all people are terrible, selfish sinners. And so people's opinions, thoughts and feelings, experiences, all of that was irrelevant at best, if not a hindrance to the discernment process. And there's an aura of fear surrounding it all because what if you get it wrong? I got to college and it blew my mind when one of my theology professors quoted St. Augustine and said, love God and do whatever you want. Now, what he meant was that as we open ourselves to being shaped by the spirit of God, we become people who want what God wants, that In the process of drawing near to God and getting to know God and receiving the love and friendship of God, then we find ourselves growing in alignment with a desire for truth and the care for others, forgiveness, freedom. But at the time, I thought it was crazy. And a big part of that was this little nugget that as I seek God, My thoughts and my feelings in that process could be helpful or trustworthy too. And that the Spirit of God included me in discernment. What if God's will is that we seek God? What if discernment is as much about coming to God as it is about whatever we do at the end of it? 
What if getting better at it is as much about our choices as it is about becoming people who can indeed do whatever we want because our wants are pretty close to God's wants? My hunch is that this is why Peter could accept the invitation quickly. Peter's nearness to Jesus, his openness to the Spirit of God was already shaping him. Maybe he didn't carry a fear that getting it wrong would ruin everything, but trusted God to meet him in all things. And maybe we can too. On our next podcast episode, we'll walk through a practice of how we can become better at discernment. A couple of tools that we can carry with us in our regular life as we try to pray with God about what God might want for us and from us. And so that will be the next episode of the Launch Pod. But for now, I'll close us in prayer. God, we believe that you speak, but it can be hard to hear your quiet voice. God, we believe that you lead, but it can be hard to follow an invisible God. We believe that you are with us, in us, and among us. But it can be hard to tell your voice from our own imagination, our own wants, the voices that are also in our head. And so, God, would you give us the kindness of your presence and your peace that in discernment you are here. You are not waiting up high to see if we figure it out like a puzzle to be solved. You're with us like a friend who wants to talk with us and walk with us through important decisions, important perspectives, important areas of our lives. Grow our trust in you as we listen for you this week. Amen.